Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy. Joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are the band Slaves and producer Jolyon Thomas to talk about how they produced and recorded the album Acts of Fear and Love. Slaves are a punk duo from Maidstone, Kent in the UK, featuring the talents of guitarist Laurie Vincent and drummer-vocalist Isaac Holman. Following a period where Isaac briefly joined Laurie's band Bareface, in 2013, the pair decided to leave and set up as a duo and the band Slaves was formed. With just one electric guitar and a stripped-down drum setup consisting of two cymbals, a snare drum and a floor tom, they instantly had a uniquely British sound inspired by, among others, Crass, The Refused and Joy Division. The band became notorious for their live shows, winning audiences over with their combination of energetic performance and comedic stage banter. It wasn't long before they released their debut EP, Sugar-Coated Bitter Truth, featuring fan favourites Girl Fight and Where's Your Car Debbie? followed by their debut album, Are You Satisfied, in 2014, which went on to receive a Mercury Prize nomination. The band have since notched up two more studio albums, Take Control, produced by Mike D from the Beastie Boys, and Acts of Fear and Love in 2018, produced with Jolyon Thomas at the helm. Jolyon Thomas is a producer, engineer and musician from Margate, also in Kent. His journey as a producer started with playing drums in various bands as a teenager and the handy gift of a four-track Porter studio from his sister. With this, Jolyon began recording his own demos and it wasn't long before friends were approaching him to record their music. Son of legendary producer and engineer Ken Thomas, Jolyon has continued the family's success with his own career working with the likes of Daughter, Kendrick Lamar, M83 and the chart-topping album How Did We Get So Dark for Royal Blood in 2017. Today, I'm here at Iguana Studios in London with Isaac and Laurie from Slaves and producer Jolly and Thomas to talk about Acts of Fear and Love. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Cut and Run. It is Cut and Run, it is Slaves from Acts of Fear and Love, and we're all sat around uh, a few different tables here at Iguana Studios. So um, we got to rewind a tad. You had worked together on the debut Slaves album, um, and you got back together to work on, on this one. Um, at what point did you approach Jolien? I mean, how, had you loads of songs ready, or was it fairly early on? Um, Jolien came around my house for some cheese salad sandwiches. And we rekindled. 
it was about probably a year before we started recording. Um, we just finished. Must have been yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was around September time. Um, I just sort of moved to Brighton, and yeah, we were just going through listening to old songs and we had this idea that we wanted to work with Jolene again and straight from the off we both sort of you, it just felt like we both wanted to just get back in and start something again I played him a few demos I don't know if you remember me playing any demos I remember yeah <laughs> we had, I think we had about had such an intense period and then they go on tour or whatever you know life gets in the way and stuff and in between that you had Bart I don't know if I'd met him yeah like so anyway, he might have just been born I probably hadn't seen you for like two years or I don't know yeah a long enough time anyway. So yeah, it's just good to get back in the room together and chat and listen to music. You play with some punk records, which I hadn't heard. Yeah, because that's, uh, that, the start of this album was going back and listening to loads of old music and rediscovering, going on a bit of a journey of why I liked music again. I wanted to listen to everything afresh. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. I remember playing you The Casualties, I think. That was it, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't heard them. Sounded great. Yeah, and so in terms of the demos that you had to share with Jolien I mean did you have many or um, they just sketches ideas or? they're all proper rough on our phones and stuff and a lot of them were just guitar and drums and I'm like one of those people that gets really excited about a song and tries to explain it to someone whilst they look at you like really blankly <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy that tries yeah we've written this song and then hums it to you and you're like, <laughs> I get overexcited basically so I mean if you record a demo like that I mean is it just the two of you in a rehearsal room and recording it on your phone or are you yeah, fiddling usually. about with leads and trying to get it into a... We're, tr we're trying we're to be more sophisticated. Yeah, we, we? Tried, we tried to do a bit of that, but yeah, it's usually just on like on our notes or whatever on our phone, voice memos. And sometimes we don't even record it and we just like a test is if we come back and we remember it, then it's good enough. So We lose bits of songs that way as well, but we're quite old school. But we did on... After that meeting with Jolien, about six months later, I think um, that's when we started trying to do more sufficient demos, and they're the ones that we've got for you here. Yeah, okay. I think when we uh, met again, we didn't want to make Are You Satisfied number two. We are quite sort of, well, I hadn't met up with Isaac at this point, but we're, Laurie and I were quite aware of that, like, what do we what do? Because it's all, almost too easy to go and make punk bangers. You know, these guys could do that in five minutes. So I think you gave me a bunch of demos, and I said they weren't, good enough or we said like i'm not sure if it's enough yet yeah we booked in to go to a studio to do a little taster session to see what it would be like again to work together so we had three days booked at livingston 2 in wood green in london and we had about 12 demos and different ones we were we were both really excited about but i think we both all three of us had the intention that if we're going to record something in these three days, they've got to be singles. I know that you can't know what a single's going to be, but it felt like there were a few songs in the demos, for instance, there was Lives I Wish They Had and there was Acts of Fear and Love. And they just, I feel like we always knew they'd be album tracks, so we avoided them and went straight in at Photo Opportunity because that, I was just, I think me and Isaac were both, the minute we started writing that song, just knew it had mm. a big big feel to it yeah I mean I knew straight away when I heard the demo because also with any artist I think it's good to be surprising and again coming back with the slaves Bish Bash Bosh would be like oh yeah, yeah people write it off too easily although it'd be great and obviously lots of those songs as well this is in 3-4 photo opportunity it's essentially a ballad mm. you know a slave song in 3-4 with clean guitars isn't how you if you said to people what do you think slaves sound like they'd probably be like oh it's punk but actually this is the total opposite of that 
um, not in its attitude, but in its arrangement. Yeah, I remember from that period of time, I remember looking over your shoulder and we'd be like, what about this one? What about this one? And you're like, mm, yeah. You never said the, the demos were bad. You just said, you were just like... It wasn't that they were bad. It's you were just, just like, standard, they're slaves, wasn't? they're slaves. Yeah. Which, which was really uh, refreshing. We felt like we had the album and we came out of that three days and we completely wrote Cut and Run from scratch and Photo Opportunity. But then we went back to the drawing board and we had another session booked for March and there was a two-week gap to do some writing in January. And I think five of the songs got written in like a three-day period in Brixton, like the week before we were about to go to... <coughs> it, but the session made us rethink what we were doing. Yeah. Um, let's hear the finished version of Photo Opportunity um, and then we can unravel it yes. and, and go back to how it all started. are you trying to do to me this is not a photo opportunity but if I say no I'm sorry I have somewhere to be and I open myself up for scrutiny no one wants that do they know It is the finished version of Photo Opportunity by Slaves from Acts of Fear and Love. Um, and we're going to unpack that now, uh, to coin a phrase. Um, but, uh, Laurie, I think you were saying this was the first song you wrote for the record? Yeah, it was um, a riff that was, or a part that was kicking around really early on, almost immediately after Take Control finished, and I was playing it in sound checks. Yeah, I remember and... being on the, on the Take Control tour. Didn't know, is that like the mini one we did before the big tour and we we were like really excited about this tune and I, at that point was it just that riff at the beginning then just yeah. that nice gentle it's just the waltzy bit yeah. I have these like shock moments quite often where I mean Daddy is another one of them I have lots of guitar parts that don't necessarily sound like slaves almost and um, the test of a slave song is I'll play like lots and lots of riffs and then occasionally Isaac will sing along to it it's almost like I'm trying to I just keep throwing ideas at him. And when he started singing along to Photo Opportunity, I was like, whoa, this is very different. But it felt really good. And when you sing along, Isaac, are you singing Scrambled Eggs? Or, or are you? It, do, do you immediately come up with a, a phrase or something from hearing? Um, I feel like with, with that one, I, was, I don't really know how it came about. I don't think I had anything before written for that song. I think I was just like sort of jamming out to it. Mm. And that was what came out. So you were playing that riff at these sound checks, and then you would just remember that, you know, in terms of you wouldn't have like pressed record and thought we got to keep that, but because it was just so much in your mind, you just remembered it and then decided to build it up into a. And then like the next, song. like the next gig or whatever, like the next sound check, I'd get like a few more lines for it, or whatever, and it would just like start growing. Yeah, we do write on the road. A lot of people are like, oh, I find it impossible to write on the road. We write a lot slower and a lot differently and we don't necessarily finish things, but 
just getting us both in a space with our gear set up is quite a rare opportunity. So we, I like to try and seize upon that as much as possible. Um, and also I always have parts written before and like from home. And I think that was one that I'd just been playing for ages. And so I just kept doing it. And I have these like, depending on moods, because obviously it's tiring on tour. I like look out the corner of my eye and if I think soundcheck is, I think if I think Isaac's nearly done with soundcheck, I'll like play it to myself and sometimes he'll join in and sometimes he won't. And that's the test of a good riff if I like entice him back to the stage to... Especially if you're playing at a big stage with a different atmosphere, isn't it? How it sort of travels and... And that intimacy of like support bands you might not have met before, walking in and listening to you play in something. It's quite, you're quite vulnerable and exposed, especially as a lyricist, if you're going to try stuff out. Mm. Would you gauge people's reaction to something I mean, in that way, or would you just try to turn your back on them and kind of ignore them? A bit of both. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's a kind of test, isn't it? So so what the, did you then present to Jolian? Um, because you, you did a demo of your own of Photo Opportunity, um, which I think we're going to hear. So this is one of the songs that we pretty much, it was there, like the whole, the whole structure's there. What we then went on to do with it is add new vocal, like, I don't know what you call it. What's it called? layers at the end. Is that a canon? Um, no, it's not a canon, but <laughs> I'd have to go through it. It, it. Yeah, I mean, the demo is pretty close to what it is. I can't, mm. I can't remember what the demo sounds like. Like, emotionally and the dynamic of it. I mean, if you look at the waveform, it looks the same. <laughs> Arrangement we... change, definitely. Yeah. Shall we but have a listen to much. the demo then? Different. Yeah, I remember like feeling like you had to change that. And we we decided to introduce the backing vocal there rather than later. Yeah, I think the, the backing vocal comes up later and it's it's like an afterthought. The moment in the studio, we're like, that's actually a big hook, so... We should introduce it, make yeah. it big. Yeah. There's no whistle either in the demo. No. I thought that was on there for some reason from the start. And when you do that transition from the gentle strum to the explosive guitar, I mean, did, did, is that just something that you do without really thinking about, that suddenly you think, oh, let's change it, and then... I felt really uncomfortable about that and it felt really cheesy, it felt too obvious. Uh, I remember sound checking it the first time and doing that and then stopping and laughing like that can't be it. But sometimes you try and write a new part and nothing else fits and you just have to, I don't know. It's a bit uncomfortable for me, it feels obvious but you need obvious sometimes.
So yeah, so what that's missing is uh, vocal in the chorus, basically a guitar solo, and like a, we had like another round of vocals. We reintroduced the, the, the verse, verse, but yeah, the verse, but over the end. Yeah, this album's a lot of us playing it down more, not in a bad way, in a satisfying way. I think, especially in our earlier music there was a lot of how can I make my guitar part even more confusing and there were songs early on that were just written to be intense and they weren't written to be pleasing they were written to be tough to play and challenging and sometimes with songs like this especially you're just like you have to satisfy that urge and I think underplaying is a very like underrated skill in bands like to know you can do more but not to do more Mm. But I mean, you you obviously excited Jolyon by the idea of this song, which you know starts so gently and it's in a different time signature than you would expect from Slaves, and so yeah, you know, this was something to get your teeth into and trying to work out how can I bring that out and make it shine and uh, for for what it is, you know, this. I think yeah, for me, from what I remember, it was just making it have a chorus because the riff is a chorus, but it needed a vocal basically, and then I don't know how we got to that point, but yeah, within the demo, I'll find it. There is that vocal in there. It's just kind of buried somewhere in the background. Yeah, it's just at the end, I think. At the end. So that reverb guy, what shall we do, ended up being kind of the chorus refrain. What shall we do? So that was like number one goal. Because <laughs> like I said, I didn't really want to change the demo. So I really loved the demo. I thought it was great. So, so yeah, we grabbed that vocal, worked on that. And again, with Slaves, it's two of them. So when they do something that's quite important, it's not like you can go, oh, we're going to do an overdub or we don't really do that many overdubs. I mean, actually, this song does have overdubs. It has a guitar solo, which is rare for stuff we've done before. So anyway, I've encouraged Laurie to sing before and he sings a lot on this record actually doing yeah really hooky stuff and backing vocals and like in this case it's a chorus um because yeah live what's he gonna do well i guess say that word and when you're thinking of the live thing as well like the, my vocals on this record have really come across to me as an extra instrument mm. a lot of the backing vocals have really filled out the songs whereas it's we've almost neglected it in the past because of lack of confidence. I'd rather just get Isaac to do them. Mm. And so in terms of bringing that into the song, when, when you're recording and when you're in Livingston with you know, only three days to work with and you're trying to record three songs in that time, um, what did you get down first? So would you just, you'd get the, the guitar, the percussion, the drums, and then, then work on these ideas afterwards? We always do a guide track. Yeah, it's normally a kind of... I'll figure out the tempo, basically. I think we did all the songs to a click on this album. Yeah. Not to be. That was our choice this time as well. Like, historically, <laughs> it's been, right, on the first record, Jolien saying, go on, play to a click. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> I think there's one moment on the record at the end of the lives I wish they had where the click comes off. But me and Isaac, Isaac and I, myself, have become quite, we want, we're like perfectionists now. Mm. We don't a bit just... more savvy. Yeah, like the live guitar band in a room thing's cool but we actually want to make we want to pull it to a click if we want to remix it we want to be able to remix it it just like it opens up a world of options when you play to a click and at the end of the session if you go 
oh, that really sucked, but the drum sound was amazing. You can then just take the drums and use it as a template, whereas if you don't play to a click, you're kind of like, you shoot yourself in the foot at later opportunities to reuse the same and stuff. And the song suited it as well. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like a big decision. Just, the song's kind of written in a yeah. structured way, or at least by the end of it, they were. We figured it all out, obviously, depending on the song. So, yeah, with this song, yeah, we would figured out a tempo, and the tempo would be really important. So I probably would have got Isaac to sing and play drums, because the worst thing you can do is get the drums. Obviously, Isaac is a singer and a drummer. Mm. The worst thing you can do is get a drummer to do all the drum takes, and the singer walks in and goes, oh, it's a bit fast. You're right, yeah. <laughs> so I probably, I imagine I got Isaac to like sing it and play it a bunch of times as a kind of guide. So you get the pace that Isaac's comfortable with that he will want to deliver that song at. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So he would be in charge of that, obviously, again, because he's the drummer and the singer. But the vocal's really important. It's the most important thing. So that's what we'll be going for. Make sure it's you know the right pace. This actually changes tempo as well, which, according to my thing here, just slots straight in. So it's 170, and then the chorus just goes straight into 176 and back down to 170 again. So... Again, when we say to the click, it doesn't mean it's like on the grid. It's not like all put in mm. time. It's just, you know, it's, it's obviously slamming straight in the chorus and Isaac's probably kind of catching up a little bit with that increase in tempo. Um, and recording the vocals at the same time as the drums, would you keep that vocal take or is that no. literally Ultimately, just no. a guide yeah, vocals? Yeah. Guide. And there so might be little bits and there might be like one little bit. There's a few things in the album where he said something when he's doing it when he's doing his drums because he's like taking the piss or something or shouting or I don't know and sometimes I'll like sample it and save it for later but yeah. in this song no it, it, that was just a, a method to get the song you know the the arc of the song we're quite fast in the studio because we have quite an intense we're doing a lot of things at once we're working on the structure whilst working on whilst taking note of the tempo whilst so the first with a song like this where it's already written so so to speak we maybe are playing it like seven or eight times through in a row as every and everyone's chipping in different ideas whereas you know some songs will take a lot longer and they'll be like from the bottom up whereas a song like this by the time you get to the hit and record for the first time you've made loads of decisions i think we all work yeah, so we right. all work quite fast and and i was engineering this session as well because again because we just sort of done this three day and um yeah i think it's quite straightforward i think we did the drums first and the guitars i think the whole record this song included, Laurie and I really sort of went for it on guitars as well and just thought about all the different tonalities and clean guitars basically as well. It wasn't so distorted. Is, something we kind of always spoke about forever. And is there acoustics? The acoustics the in it. Chorus, yeah. That was something that was really, I really on this album for the first time ever became like obsessed with the layering of acoustic guitars for like two different influences on that were Johnny Marr and... Um, that album Warning that Green Day did. And I was just going back on my rediscovering music I grew up listening to. Green Day, when you think of them, they're an electric guitar band. There's no dispute in it. But that record, the acoustics, the loudest thing throughout all of it. And it really interested me, that really like punk attitude. But when you listen to the records, they're actually quite clean and the acoustics louder. And then I read Johnny Marr's book and I didn't realise how much layering he did. And... I was much more open on this record to having however many guitar channels. In the past, I was quite like, I just want it to sound how I sound. And I've really got that out of my head. I want it to sound good in a recorded sense. And there is a true difference in art form between live and recorded. And But this is still how you sound. No, I know, yeah. yeah. But just adding that 
adding the the sound of an acoustic is one of my favorite little tricks now. Mm. I think also like it's not to be underestimated the sound of the thing, you know, how you hold the fretboard and all that sort of stuff. How you know Laurie's not exactly like strumming it softly. <laughs> you know he's going for it and like committing. It's like you know he's got the attitude. Yeah, it's just a piece of guitar. You know, who cares? You know it's too easy to rely on distortion and make it sound like heavy or it's those it's those noises that you might lose when you're recording in a tiny room with really loud amps like your the slides of the strings like the fret noises that's what i really love about and you can't even really hear it and and if you like isolated it you could but it's in there and it makes such difference to me on a lot of these tracks and again it would have been quite fast we would have just got an acoustic out which had that one <laughs> just you know what i mean but my just, just pointed at an acoustic guitar in the studio. Yeah, so it could not not that it wasn't considered, but like again, it's, it's just the energy of it. Just just get it on the track, and it also adds a sort of percussive element because in this song there is no percussion other than the the live drum kit. So it's got it's got a percussiveness to it as well, which really you know. Yeah, can uh, you play it? That beat out, I can. I can do that for you. So this is the this is the chorus uh, acoustic guitar, is it? So the cymbals are quite splashy, so yeah, it's that percussiveness which kind of really helps. It's just little things like that where we've become really interested in production itself. Yeah. And I think you're playing like, what's major, isn't it? You're playing the actual, you're voicing the chord. Slightly different. Yeah, maybe. I think in the electrics you're... It just sounds like a power chord and then the, the voicing on the acoustic has got the major third in it, so it's a bit more musical perhaps <laughs> I mean I think it's always so interesting that you know when you hear the song and say as a casual listener the listener who absorbs it all at once those little subtleties do enhance and make such a difference but that person might not necessarily be aware of all of those things going on that it's only when you start really listening so keenly and trying to break it down in the way that we are now and we get to hear th that contrast and yet hear how how powerful that can be you know it's quite interesting and and also i was intrigued by the um isaac's drumming and the drum setup that isaac has and then his his vocals and what kind of challenges they present to you jolian as a, as somebody who you know might have worked with other rock bands with more of a straight ahead drum setup mm -hmm. and you know obviously part of the appeal of what slaves do and what makes them so interesting is because in essence it's the two of you and you're both standing up and you're yeah, both uh, you know the usp yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but at the same time um that could present certain drawbacks or certain problems potentially um mm -hmm. to to get try and create something that has that maximum impact you know and obviously we've discussed how initially to start with the band thought right maximum impact we just play as loud as possible <laughs> and make it as messed up as possible and, and it gives it a really great big impact and you know punches people in the face but obviously as time has gone on um you you want to have isaac more really subtle approach. pulls out his hair about drum beats and there's been moments where we've been writing a song and it's not happened because you sort of turn around and go this song just needs proper drums so it's a limitation that you feel but you spend ages trying to work out how to Feel like it is harder to fill out the sound, isn't it? Because you yeah. don't have a hi hat, and there are times where I have to be like, "Come on, just try." Or yeah, I definitely feel that on the other tunes as well on this album. Just like I don't know, I've I can play drums better, my drums better now than I ever have been able to because I've just spent a long time working it out. Whereas mm. before it used to be 
every tune <laughs> just like so easy and it's not easy to play drums like Isaac does I mean <clears throat> the beats one aren't easy yeah I'm a drummer by the way yeah the skater, that's my instrument. A really yeah. good drummer, to my surprise. <laughs> um, if you go to try and play it, it looks trivial, but it's not at all. And then you've got to play it that hard. And with the vocals, especially obviously in the studio, we're not doing all the vocals all the time, but I mean, it's really, it's, it's they're, they're prog. It's really guys. unorthodox because <laughs> Isaac, this is drum talk now for you people out there, but basically where traditional drummers will lead with one hand and continue to lead with that hand all the time, Isaac switches mid-beat and then switches back. So when I'll, when I'll play a beat on his drums, like maybe I'll do, I'll, I'll keep my hand on the cymbal, my right hand leading on the cymbal and then try and do the kick and snare with my left hand. On one beat, he'll like swap so like he just swaps both hands and does the kick and snare opposite hands and then brings them in and then a similar beat on a different song because of the way it's sung he'll then switch it again it's written for every, <laughs> he has to learn how to play his drums for every single song and it's like watching that unfold i think we all undervalue its importance because when everyone you see the intensity live you sort of forget there's so much going on there at the mm. same time yeah if i'm doing like an edit or something i was all walking and be like that's wrong and it's to me, I'm hearing like, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, whatever. It's like, oh, it's the wrong symbol. Because obviously, like, I wouldn't hit that with my left hand, I'd hit it with my right hand. Because he'll know, because he's only got the two hands. Yeah. So yeah, he'll know weird. which one it is. I'll be like, oh, okay, I, I, I know what he means, but you know, I, I have to sort of be reminded sometimes. So yeah. And then I guess the technique you've used on this tune, especially, is the boomy floor tom. Yeah. I think that is just, it needed to kind of like subby sort of frequency. For the chorus, so I think I just over egg the kick a lot. I don't know what the desk they've got Livingston. It's like a Neve, like a copy of a Neve. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> Fake Neve. It's really good. It's really easy. It's like a classic 1073 kind of my camp thing. I think I just distorted it a lot. Also, we could have a whole podcast on this on Isaac's drums as a subject. I can. I don't know enough about. It. <laughs> Basically, say you are recording a traditional drum kit the traditional rock band many people might sound replace the kick and that sort of stuff and sometimes i do that as well but isaac's hitting with his hand which people tend to forget so it's, it's not a kick drum it's not you know it's not mm, with your foot yeah. so it's di it's got a lot of dynamic and a musicality to it which a kick drum doesn't have so some of the songs sound like almost like, like they are a loop i think cut and run's a loop that's but that's how it's written everything else isn't it's like and there's samples of him playing as well yeah but like this song is just literally him playing live so that the kick drum's got a uh, a tonality to it and a velocity which is quite um individual i guess mm. it's part of the sound so I, I so when you say it causes a problem it doesn't really cause a problem because it has a sound yeah obviously you get a drum kit it's like they don't have a sound so like they're really good but there's no sound yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. it has a sound so you can pull it up and be like yeah it sounds great yeah well it, it, it means that you've got immediate personality and identity and in, in how you play and perform and, and what you create um but yeah. at the same time isaac also has to think about singing which is a whole other thing you know because i always think it's really quite it must be quite hard to do you know i mean admittedly for recording you're going to redo that vocal yeah. and sing on a over uh, the rhythm track you've just recorded but i just don't really separate the two mm. like for me drumming and singing is one thing like that's how we started writing this music and that's how we write tunes it's like it's one thing 
Sometimes like dancing, isn't it? You learn. You know, you could always be like dancing as you're singing. I mean, you kind of are, and so you're moving around and stuff. I think the fact that you learn when we started, so you learn the drums at the same time as we wrote the songs was really important. Yeah. I feel like a drummer that tried to do it and then start singing on top of his drumming, you need to learn almost wrong to make it work, if that makes yeah. sense. And learning it at the same time, I think, has been really important for you. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked if I'd have known how to play the drums. Mm. Yeah, well, you've you, created you can't play a drum kit, can you? No. <laughs> It was that time we walked into the studio and his arms were like over the wrong way (laughs) over each other. (laughs) And we posted it and people (laughs) thought we were joking, but that was actually just him trying. A lot of the stuff we posted is just like reality. And that was, we were, me and Jolie were like, are you looking at him? But he didn't realise we were looking at him. And he's playing the drums like over the wrong arms really hard. I was trying to think how I'd seen actual drummers do it. (laughs) As soon as that foot gets involved, I'm like fucking... Toast. Lost. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing as well, like, I know this is a bit of a sidestep, but that's what podcasts are for, I guess. I think about the sort of question, we get this punk term labelled at us a lot and political and all that. And uh, that, in essence, the way Isaac plays his drums, for me, is like the purest form of why we could be seen as a punk band because it's not conforming to what people think a drummer is. And that simple act of rebellion and saying i'm gonna drum how i want to do it and do what i want to do i think that's why we really resonate with a lot of people just because it's that diy attitude of i can't play a real drum kit so i'm going to stand up and i don't think isaac's drumming can ever be underestimated it's such a it's like it's the thing that we built everything around and uh all of our and it makes me realize how few drum beats actually utilize the floor tom because that's what i'm used to hearing all the time that's Mm. our sound Mm. and our sound revolves around that yeah it's just like instinct isn't it it's not contrived it's just like laurie used to call it steering wheel drumming because it's just like when you're driving (laughs) your car it's just like it's just what you what happen what comes out with you like from your hands and also again to compare it to normal bands you spend most of your life just trying to get a good kick and snare sound Rock band, mm. you know, this guy is just like, there you go. There's no <laughs> high ever, though. There's a high hat on the snare mic that you know, what I mean, that doesn't happen. So, where well, there's a problem, is it's also a blessing in that it just sounds like kick and snare, which is kind of what you want, basically. Yeah. Um, I'll play a bit of these drums so you can hear. Yeah, that would be great. So, we would have we would have tuned that kick to the key of the song as well. That's not an accident. So yeah, I probably tune it, tune the kit. Isaac's quite happy for me to just go in there and mess with it and come up with something. And the snail, obviously. And um, I probably would have distorted it there and then to hear the harmonics and hear the pitch uh, in context. And then I would have tuned it with the distortion on it just to make sure it's actually, like, in. Then I might have dialed back the distortion. Sometimes I'll distort it, like, shitloads, so I really, like, so I can really hear what what the pitch is doing. Because, again, he's kind of like the bass as well with Mm. that that drum. That was the thing we realised really early on as a band, was if we can get that floor tom to boom, then it fills out. It's like a bass. Yeah. Mm. It's like a tablet or something. Yeah, tune a tablet to There was a long discussion as well, or something. talking about production, about whether there should be drums in the second verse, because this is quite a sparse drum track. Um, 
and we were talking whether it needed it to keep the rhythm of the momentum of the song going. But I think that's why the kids got introduced at that point. Perhaps I can't remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, thinking about. I, th- I guess something. essentially we spent a lot of time thinking about quite a simple thing, and that is what this record was all about for us. Like we said, not doing the same things. Are you satisfied? We followed our instincts, but we didn't just rush anything. Mm. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. Well, I think maybe we should hear one of the other songs on the record now. We're going to talk about Chokehold. And here is the fully mastered, completed version. It is Chokehold from Slaves. Laurie, Isaac and Jolian are here at Iguana Studios. And uh, let's talk about the drums first because we've just been talking about drums. But um, is that a drum machine on Chokehold? No. Nope. Um, no. Wow. So those beats are so 
precise, <laughs> Isaac, because when, when I'd been listening to it, I was th- assuming that there had to be a drum machine this, on that This track. was a big moment on the album, actually, because we added a drum. Yeah. It was, piv- it was a real it was, it was moment. A, it was a moment. Big moment. We had previously added a tambourine. We can come back to that later, I guess, but this was adding another drum. Wow. A tom. So, yeah. So two toms. Yeah. 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 So an extra tom. Yeah. A high tom, so to speak. Yeah, pro- like a proper rack tom. It took me a long time to work that beat out. <laughs> but that, I, mean, I just it walked sounds... in and held it for a while <laughs> in various positions. Well, and you would try and work out which was most comfortable. It was just so hard. Like it just I've, op- I've only just got that. And it just opened up this whole new thing. It was like, whoa. It was like a light switch being turned on and it just made the sound so much different. It sounded full. It was a really exciting moment. And it, are you going to play with that? I mean, have you played with... Yeah, I've played it live as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how was that? It was a struggle at first because, like, obviously we did the drum beat in the studio and then recorded the vocals over the top and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do both live. Mm. But practice makes perfect, basically. You can do anything if you practice. Yeah, and so and in terms of practice, when do you go in for day in... Day out, like no. days of practice. I mean, or do you just it's practice through performance in front of people and getting it right that way? I think that we are like we we have to practice a bit more now, so we do like. But yeah, at the moment it's just been sound checks. Mm, yeah. it's, it's limiting though because sound checks means that you can maybe there are songs that don't get played because you don't feel comfortable. In an ideal world, we would get to practice more, but we just don't. <laughs> You're busy people. Yeah. But it's interesting because obviously that is part of the the challenge, you know. And yeah, but you're mastering it, so it's uh, it's under control. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> I it's also getting comfortable to be in a space where the song doesn't sound the same as it does recorded. And there are still a few songs off the last record that I feel sh- deserve a place in the live set, but they don't get there yet because we've got this fixation that they there are elements missing. So I think that's something we're going to work on when we go back into the rehearsal room this week and work on songs, stripping them back. Because I think it's, it's that's an exciting part of seeing a band live is hearing how songs change mm. and being comfortable with it not being exactly the same on the record. Yeah. So Chokehold, where did this come in terms of the writing and the recording? So this, we had an early demo of that, yeah. This was part of it, wasn't it? And I think this was one of those ones that I was going, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, so this was one, this is the one that, which came, so I don't know how many there were, 15 or whatever, and it, three of them, I think, came through from that period. These are the ones I essentially wrote off, but not necessarily this one, and definitely, definitely not Fatal Opportunity, as we spoke about earlier. And this had a different name, a different lyric. And I think that was kind of why it maybe didn't 100% shine through, mm. but it was clearly really catchy because all the riff was there and everything, wasn't it? The drum beat was almost there, not the tom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you don't have that, or do you? Yeah, I have the demo. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So this is the the first version of Chokehold. Yeah. Known as. Or the, and well, here's, this is a funny <laughs> anecdote, and uh, I think you got to laugh at life's um, cruel irony and just the the humour in life. And I think we're a band that does that anyway. So the song obviously has the lyric, "Now my pillow smells like a hairspray." And in the same vein as Smells Like a Teen Spirit, you know Teen Spirit is a girl's deodorant or yeah. something. When we were trying to think of a chorus, I said to Isaac, 
firm hold because that's the name that's a type of hairspray and I was like oh that's clever and it reminded me of Smells Like Teen Spirit but when recorded and played to a few people some people quite a few people thought he was saying bum hole (laughs) (laughs) one of those stories where you're like oh I probably shouldn't tell this whatever and then so the real cruel irony is that we this was a eureka moment we were pulling our hair out on this track it was recorded pretty simply for quite a while in the studio and it we couldn't get the chorus lyric that sat right with us and chokehold was a real eureka moment unfortunately we didn't hear that it sounded a little bit like joe cole but i suppose joe cole's better than bumhole (laughs) (laughs) i haven't thought of it sounding like joe cole good (laughs) This this is a demo Chokehold must have been a Eureka moment when you came up across that phrase because it, it fits the whole meaning of the song. I remember um, st- stood at the back of the studio and there were like these high chairs and like I'd done it like probably four times this song, just shouted out different ideas. I, I'm kind of one of those personalities that I will just bang my head against the brick wall until something comes out, whereas Jolien's a lot more chilled and like, oh, we'll get it, man. And Isaac's a lot more, would rather just, contemplate and sort of process a lot slower and it's not this whereas I've got this intense burning of like we need to fucking get it now (laughs) so they weren't even thinking about the track I don't think I think we were listening to something else and then they were like what I can remember picturing Isaac on the sofa leaning in Jolien and they're talking about something I just went chokehold (laughs) and everyone looked at me and like this time they all went yeah (laughs) so that was like one a really nice eureka there's a lot of eureka moments in this song um for me especially cleaning up the guitar like you can even hear in that demo it's not as i really consciously was thinking about different guitar sounds on this record and it's the classic fender telecaster sound and that's just fuzz i always have fuzz and distortion on my classic sound and that's like my bass and this song in the end i don't think we had either it was just the yes, sound of a broken up amp. champ like a small amp um but still sounding heavy. It's like when you listen to a lot of good bands like White Stripes, I think everyone considers them a heavy band. A lot of Jack White's tones are actually quite crisp and clean a lot of the time, but because of their live image, you sort of remember them differently. And that was something we wanted to work on on this record as well, just that really honest sounding guitar. Yeah, it's just also not being afraid to just use a guitar on an amp, you know, so it's easy to kind of go down the, the pedal route. Yeah. To be fair, there's probably loads of pedals on the snare drum or something. In fact, I, I, there is actually, I think. It's a, a pedal, pedal on the snare. Yeah, because by this point, we're at 
this was recorded in Studio One, I think. More most yeah, of it, it the, drum, the drum kit was. Maybe not all the guitars, I don't know. No, yeah, this was all done in that. Studio One So of we're in ICP, ICP Studios right. now, so that's where we made the, the, the body of the record. Um, so we did two songs in London and the rest in ICP. So at this point we're in Studio One and they've got too much stuff. Every pedal you've ever heard of. It's like, oh, I wish I had that pedal. Then you made 10 of them. It's like, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> so It's a wormhole. It is a wormhole. So, so yeah, at this point, I think we just went for like amp, just like really straight amp. Yeah. I, I think it's a DI as well. It's, and it will have various different things coming in and out, but I'll go for the intro. So it's like a Fender champ. Yeah, it's quite roomy as well. It's got ambience on it. It was in like a tiled piano room. So that's probably a DI I've cut in, or pedal or something. It might not be a DI. It could be. It could have been a uh, like a DI. Well, sorry. It was probably it like been. the Tone King or something as well. It could have been a different amp. Yeah, I'd have to. I'm not quite sure which one I was, but essentially, there's when we're recording the guitar, we're recording one guitar most of the time, and then I might have like I'll have a clean DI, I'll have a DI on the desk, which I've like smashed, so it's like a really just like a distortion, but off the desk, or it could be a pedal, and then we've got multiple amps, so they're kind of always all set up. And at some point we have to make a decision, like for this song, what we're we doing, and Lobby would say like the champ and the, the Telecaster, you know, we'd, we'd be feeling that, so that would be like the sound we would go for. But I'd still be recording the DIs and stuff in the background. Um, and I used to have a real sort of naive feeling that if you were going to have a sound in a song, that should dictate the sound of the whole song. So, like the Hunter, for example, if you go back to that song, that's the first song I ever used chorus on. And to me, I was like, because the effect chorus is on the riff, it needs to be on the whole song. Whereas on this album, I really consciously decided that, well, bang, chorus will come in for the chorus on this in this case, and then take it off, and then bring it on again. And like that, that really helped my guitar parts, just going from like dry, clean guitar into like full assault, or just like sideswiping someone with. A different sound and that really helped me sort of get more excited about the simplicity of the parts I was playing just not being afraid to just jump to a completely different sound it in, makes it more dramatic as well. it's more fun mm, isn't it yeah it's not just like oh a guitar's like oh there's a mad DI one coming in there's a roomy one coming in you know it's quite like we jump between stuff quite a lot you yeah not, yeah I mean like this has got the acoustics in it as well in the chorus probably a similar vibe so again they're smashed I know, actually, I know what I did with that. I think that's that's a plugin. I think it's Rectify, the Rectify plugin. I like all the sort of stock Avid plugins that no one seems to use. It's kind of got like a ring modulator thing on it or something like that. In the left. It's like an, it's an octave as well. Yeah. So I think I've pitched it down an octave and. And the right hand side is a, a traditional one. So with the electrics. That's, that's the chorus. It's 
taking me back to the sort of roomy, clear fender. That's proper fender, isn't it? Yeah, like it's not even pedals. I think it's no. just a maxed out, clean champ. That's yeah. the sound of the amp. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so we've gone from like clean champ in a room, like one mic on it, to like four amps. Yeah, <laughs> like a, probably a DI acoustic guitar, which has been like mashed and put an octave down. A really clear acoustic, but they're all the same. All the, it's all the same guy, if you like. It yeah. sort of adds to a, the sound. It's not. Doesn't, we, we went in this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. But I just I wanted it to sound massive, and that was like my part of. Well, this song especially, the chorus just feels anthemic, and I just wanted to sort of get that sound across. We did a lot structurally to this as well. Like we did a. It's quite funny. We with the first album, everything Jolien suggested, there was almost a joke. No, just me and Isaac. It became like a running no, like not even try it. And this song just felt like it sort of farted out at the end after the sort of um, middle sixteen section or whatever it's called. Um, and I and you said do a. Uh, a breakdown chorus. A breakdown chorus, and we were both just <laughs> we just laughed. Went, I was a girl and went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and then then we did it and we were like so it's just basically the chorus without the drums and then there's that really nice moment at the end where it goes the Isaac does this like incredible drum fill and just brings it back in and it's just something we've never played with before like doing a chorus without the it's all these the most important thing to our band is dynamic yeah so in photo opportunity the drums come in and out the guitars get really loud really quiet it's that Pixies thing of like really paying attention to when everything's up here and everything's down there because that's the tool that we can use to make people feel. We can't just bring in other instruments like other people can. Um, so this was the first record where like we would take drums out and I, and it was just like, whoa. And then we did it and we were like, okay, that was actually a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we got to hear that. I one. get one a day. <laughs> so breakdown chorus. And we've got middle eight as well, which we should probably talk about. So it's so funny because as uh, just an average listener, um, it always seems so natural. You know, when you've constructed a song like that and you hear it the way that you've finally realised, you just think, well, that's obvious. That's just, yeah, yeah, it's obvious and it's just the way that they played it and it's just how it should be. <laughs> but obviously... There's water into you know, room, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think there's this real, you can allow yourself to be produced. And mm. Jolien definitely produced our first record, but it was a complete tussle of power the whole time and... I do think that Isaac and myself went into this album with a, come on then, you produce us. Tell, and we, I think, do you think we were more receptive? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think it was also because you remembered that first time round with Jolien and remembered that, oh, he did suggest all these things and now we're kind of ready for this now? Well, you weren't then, yeah. but now you're in a different place in, t- in terms of how you've recorded in the past and what you've experienced and what you think... I think you probably see much more potential in what you could do than maybe you did back it's, then. It's also yeah, this... I'd agree with that. It's an ownership thing where you sort of mature and you realise suggesting to stop drumming at that point isn't writing your music for you. <laughs> I think there was a point of us where we were like, we've got to write all our music. But 
production is a whole different thing with a different set of tasks at hand and you're just letting someone help you make the most of what you've already done and it's really important and I think people like David Bowie can teach us that when you just go through his back catalogue and how every record sounds different when it's with a different producer Mm. I think collaboration is one of my favourite things in art just what you make with other people is really special Mm. Mm. and all the time that they're fiddling around with all this stuff Isaac are you busy trying to work out how you can pour your heart onto the page and then how you're going to realise that emotion when you have to sing these songs? Because this is an emotionally powerful... Yeah, I was just like obsessively going over my lyrics. I like like borderline like piss these guys off, I think, because I was just like being so particular about lyrics. In a good way. Yeah, I mean, it definitely paid off, but like it got to a point where Laurie was just like, just stop, like you've, you've written it, it's good. Yeah, you do have to know when to stop. But I think lyrics, you can kind of carry on a bit further. I think if you're like tweaking the snare sound on like week seven, then you've probably got a problem. <laughs> lyrics, you know, like at the very end of the recording process, Isaac came down to my studio and we, we fixed up a few lyrics on like one song. But it's important, you know. Mm. Got a yeah, because yeah, as far as you delve into an album, there is an argument for um, intensity and imme- like it being immediate and like with conviction some things when you start overthinking them just waters it down over time and changing it too much and so we wanted it to be produced but it also in my mind I didn't want this okay it's not delivered on time okay it's not going to be released then okay because part of our band is about being sort of intense and fast and getting it down on a page and not overthinking it so it was trying to marry all these new elements of us wanting to try harder but then also capture the rawness of us and I think we just hit we just hit it there was like a few bits where we could have gone over and then I was just like it's too late (laughs) (laughs) because that's important as well I think you have to keep making a few mistakes left in there Mm. for next time (laughs) yeah but uh, what what elements of the lyric writing um, make you anguish over it no what what is it no is it is it uh, one would it be one specific word that you're thinking that is not the right word i want to use yeah. to say this it'll be like words and like look just yeah like odd little few words that i think could be better and i'm just like just racking my brains trying to think of a word to go there and i'll just do that for hours just keep going back to the same bit i think when i went back to jolian's to like change a bit of a tune it was literally like the way I said one bit one, on yeah. one song, like the way I said this word. <laughs> yeah, when you do the overdubs, it was like, right. whatever, whatever word it was. I can't Isaac. remember what it was. Isaac, Isaac, right, we've got three takes now. Yeah. Choose one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, which one do you like? It's like, oh, pretty good. <laughs> it's tricky three, though, because like, the inflection can change yeah. the impact or change the meaning. Send your fear, let love in, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I get way too like obsessive over stuff like that. And there's this realm with lyrics where lyrics don't have to make sense. Art is about people interpreting it in their own way. And there's this realm when you're writing lyrics where something that doesn't make sense can feel perfectly right. And then when you start thinking about it too much, it loses the intention that you gave it. And so you've got to stay true to that idea that you're right, that it sounds good. But then you go... 
does that actually work in a sentence? And you forget that you don't have to have it in a sentence for music. And, you know, from like 11am in the morning to like 1am the next, the follow like the same day, but Mm. the morning, you can change where you sit on a song because you've been repetitively listening to it. And you're going, actually, you couldn't say that in a sentence and you just get hung up on it. And so I'm the guy, the kind of person that comes along and goes, stop thinking about it. You can change the word, but then it doesn't sound as good. And music isn't about being correct all the time. It's about f- feeling and atmosphere. So there, there is a lot of, and Isaac's the same when it comes to my guitar parts or if I'm scrutinising over a certain element. But we've got a really nice relationship, the three of us, where... To put it bluntly, things that each of us care about deeply, the others don't really care. <laughs> and it really, it really came out when we we produced a song for Ladybird together, and there was like a specific point that Isaac really wanted to change, and me and Jolien were like, "Nah, go on then." And then I was getting really hung up on one of Sam's lyrics, and everyone was like, "No, I'm not sure it matters." And that's a good thing about our relationship. We've all, we're all we're almost like watching out for different things yeah, all the we time. Care about different bits. Yeah, I'd go with that as well. Yeah. I think ultimately with lyrics, we were working on them quite a lot. I'm going to say we, we were just discussing them. So like with this, it's kind of like a relationship song. So we were like discussing that, just the idea in the studio. We weren't necessarily uh, writing lyrics because Isaac was doing that, but <clears throat> we were just thinking about the concept or, you know, just discussing it. And ultimately Isaac would go away and quietly come back with it. It would be done, you know. Yeah. But it was always a conversation, wasn't it? We were throwing stuff around the room and... I really like to talk about the songs so I create a world where they live and like an emotion that that song lives in and this song's about heartbreak and that sort of really brutal feeling when someone's and almost like how sugary this song feels and how upfront it is and there's there's a specific reason for that and how obvious it is and we sort of I think for me and Isaac we have to talk about songs like this a lot because that goes against our very nature to write such an upfront song about something so obvious. So we have to chat about it a lot to keep reaffirming why we're doing it. <laughs> and then it, is it once it's complete, is that subject done that you can move on from the emotional impact of, of singing this kind of song? That, or do you have to tap into that then every, every single night? I think you have to tap into it, don't you? Yeah, I think you have to. I think with every tune, I think you kind of have to tap into what it's about. When you mm. play it each night, you put yourself, you put your head into that space again. And that you were saying earlier, we should talk about the uh, middle eight. The middle eight for me is where the rawness of the emotion comes in. Yeah, and where, I, I agree. Where Isaac, like an author would, sort of uses <laughs> uses like things that we can all relate to really easily to make you understand the emotion, sort of like. Now I'm out on a night bus meeting an old flame. Sorry, I'm getting the lyrics wrong. Now I'm washing my bed sheets, and they're such simple devices to like give you a f- like that's everyone's got that snapshot in their head of their late. night bus. Mm. This is middle eight is something we, we worked on as well, didn't we? To kind of make it a middle eight because I think yeah. it was kind of a breakdown before and it was almost there because we haven't really had a song with a proper middle eight. So this was kind of like a bit of a moment at the time.
demo that was it was there, wasn't it? But it was it didn't have drums or anything. Just about. Yeah. Yeah, adding drums is really important to make it flow. Yeah. And Yeah, it needed that. Make it a section as opposed well, it's obviously is a section, but not a not a breakdown. You know, yeah, it's, it's like a section, yeah. so like live, you know, it's gonna be kicking off there and it's um yeah, so essentially we added drums, but it made all the difference. It's my um, personal highlight of my own guitar playing in the whole... When I wrote that guitar part, um, it was almost... Someone summed it up for me really well. A friend was like, this album sounds like you didn't just take all of your parts and make songs, you condensed them. And what I mean by that is I liked that guitar part so much, I was almost a bit frustrated giving it to such a small section in one song. And in the past, I would have tried to make the whole song that guitar part. But it's kind of about knowing when you have to just do something for a little bit and then just... And it's one of the first times that the guitars ever led the melody. So Isaac's melody is the same as the guitar part. And it was quite... A, it's quite a different... It sounds like... It almost sounds like two guitars over the top of... And it was quite a different thing for us, wasn't mm. it? And you're really singing in it as well. It's like real melody. Mm. Melody always wins, I think. Yeah. And this album is, I guess, your most melodic. Um, yeah. And the backing vocals for this song, um, I've made a note, BVs, talk about the BVs. Uh, <laughs> um, I just had a moment in... I'm, I'm, look, lyrics and vocals are Isaac's domain. And because the guitar and the vocals, in most people's eyes, are the two most important things, that's our share of... Hit fifty-fifty. So I'm quite shy about chipping in with actual. I give suggestions, but for me to just walk up to a mic and join in, I have to really, really be confident about it because it's that's Isaac's world, and he's. I'm better at playing guitar, and he's better at writing lyrics. It's just what we are good at. It's quite black and white as well. But if he's singing a song, it either like really works or it doesn't. Mm. It's like no, please don't sing on this one. But the next one is like, please, we need some backing vocals. Laurie sings on it. It's like, yeah, that's great. That's what, exactly what we were looking for. And it, we never in between. We discussed how this song sounded. Isaac just played me the lyrics and was uncomfortable from the start because he was like, oh, it's just too obvious. And I just walked up during the practice and went, ah, 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 ah. and he he was just like, that was really bad by the way, but something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was Should just, you? <laughs> and he was just like, he was like, oh, we've got to write words. It was like we can't just do. There you go. I can do it. <laughs> um, and it was quite hard for us to actually just put ah 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 in, but it's what the song needed, and it's such a satisfying thing to hear back for me. Again, coming back to the two-piece thing, you're playing guitar at this point. So again, we could have obviously overdubbed something, but um, rather than do that, it's a, it's a vocal hook, you know. That could have been on a guitar, mm. you know, if you had three guitarists in a band, one of the guitarists would probably want to play that, wouldn't they? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's kind of as simple as that. It's a really hooky part, so just sing it. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's great. And then I, um, Jolian also came up with the melody, the harmonise ideas at the end of the first chorus, and then it after it's introduced, uh, end of the first verse, then after it's introduced, it's in the middle of the second and at the end of the second where I'm just harmonising in the background. Yeah, it's still a little... Just a moment. Yeah, just makes it more melodic. 
uh, yeah, that's one. Of, that was a real like proud bit as well because it's it was this whole album. I'm not shy about saying it was a real journey into me being able to sing, um, finding a bit of a voice. I'm still on that journey, but it's just hearing vocals like that is. I find it so satisfying, like those early Green Day records, the ones that are most raw, every single one, there's loads of harmonies in it. And it was just about, yeah, using every tool we could. Yeah, people like singing along to stuff as well, which is a good reason to not put stuff in sometimes because people probably sing their own harmonies to it. And, you know, I do that sometimes, yeah. like harmonise to a piece of music. Um, yeah, that bit just makes it, I guess this is a, quite a pop song, pop track, so that's kind of like really a, a classic harmony but it just it just works it just sounds cool i bet everyone at the gig sort of sings along to that bit and you know there was an element of if we're gonna fun, do really, this well. let's just fucking do it let's not be shy about it let's not just half ass a pop song we were all just like let's do it let's just yeah, put so for that one moment that's pop <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> no, you know cool yeah it works a treat. I mean, I think Chokehold's a great example of, of adding and accentuating all these different elements that are already there, but kind of enhancing them and, and mm. putting them all together so that it creates a, a, a new dimension, a new way of, of hearing and uh, for slaves and, and what you do, you know, which is really exciting. It's interesting because the album starts with the lives they wish they had, which we're going to talk about now, and that has many of the elements that you probably had day one with slaves possibly in terms of noise and volume and attack um but and that's why it is track one yeah laurie's said got it spot on before he was like that song is like the best version of all of our old songs right <laughs> so those first two albums the first four five years the subject all... matter everything just condensed into listen to this song and this someone in a really early practice session, Isaac, I, th I can't remember if it's on the demo or not, but Isaac just started screaming slaves at the end and we both giggled and went, ah, that's funny. And I just said, if anyone wants to know about our band name, play them that song. And if they don't get it after that, then they're not going to get it. Um, and someone actually came up to me completely independently of me ever discussing that and gave me that back. They were like, that song sums up your band's name. And I was like, well, we've achieved what it's meant to achieve it's it's a mission statement and i thought it was really important because we knew that it wasn't necessary it wasn't it wasn't going to be a single necessarily i felt it was important to start the album with a song that was a bit familiar and people just went yeah straight like, in that's it and but then at the same time you listen to it and the backing vocals are very melodic mm. the parts are super melodic and it's we we took that sound we had and it's the best version we've ever done recorded i'd say it's clean it's not yeah i think we're gonna have to we'll have to have a listen to it but then maybe have a listen to the two sections because they're so uh kind of different in a way you know obviously when it really kicks in mm. yeah um but yeah but so to set this up let's hear the mastered version wherever that is
So um, in terms of the writing, was this a demo all ready to go when you went into the studio with Jolien or was this one that was worked up? Was yeah. it demoed? I know it, we'd, yeah, it we'd written we'd yeah. written, written some of it. The demo a while just ago. you you didn't record your vocals on the demo, but you had them like that first oh, verse didn't yeah. really change. But you you wanted to, when we recorded the demo, you wanted to work on the vocals more because mm. there's so much lyrical content you wanted to have it nailed. Mm. And this is probably the one song that structurally there was no there was no alter, like, alterations. Mm. There was musically like we changed a bit like the main thing i remember was the the refrain from the the chorus and the verse guitar parts are exactly the same and in the demo i played them the same and it was making the song really monotonous for me if i don't enjoy playing the song it kind of kills me having any objectivity to understanding if it's a good song or not and i kept shooting isaac down about it it was this song and bugs that i was just openly quite critical of because i couldn't get but we persevered with them and we turned that rather than repeating the guitar part in the verse, it became a refrain and we played it, in the, I played it as bass notes, but it is the same sound. And as soon as I did that, for me, the song just went, woof, like opened up because there was dynamic again. Yeah, again, it comes back to that feeling of it. Obviously, not it's not a bass, but it kind of it goes into that sort of bassy, subby kind of world a bit more. I don't, I don't want to say hip hop because it's not really hip hop, but you know what I mean? It's a bit more beaty. It's not like caudal and thrashy and indie it's kind of like, yeah. so I mean the studio speakers that really loud it's like yes you know that sounds really good um, I can't remember the demo so I have to hear it I'll play it to you now good feedback yeah we didn't get that quite as good did we hello <laughs> <laughs> That that little I don't know how you describe it in musical terms though at the beginning of the choruses and the verses this bit was like a real revelation when we were writing it it just gave it this real music musicality maybe that a lot of our other heavy songs didn't have and it felt really it feels really brutal when it does it so I don't know the phrase for that but that was one of my that's one of my favorite parts yeah, about cool. this song. Just, I guess it's space, isn't it? It's less playing. I mean, it's essentially a, a rest, but yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, two minutes in, it kind of steps up and explodes. And was it always going to be like that? There's going to be this, this. Is the point you're going to talk about? The lives they wish they had, and, and expand on that a little bit, and then the we weren't sure where we were going to put. We were thinking about putting that section like smack bang in the middle of it, but it ended th- up being in the end. Did have another section, didn't it, that we removed? I think that, that section uh, yeah. also was a bit of a joke. It was, it was like demo. Oh yeah, I really like this bit. It's a bit like Metallica, Four Horsemen, or something. I forgot about this. Yeah, I forgot about that as well. <laughs> so we removed that at some point. And that was another... It does sound good, though. That's, an, that's another <laughs> it's the part metal of aspect. me swallowing my pride. Like, the bits that are a little bit more technical, we lost quite a lot in in favour of the song, having more fluidity and mm. keeping the pace. 
this album was quite a lot about sort of nodding our heads to all these things that have inspired us. And I did grow up listening to a lot of probably uncool, like new metal guitar bands that did inspire the way I play. And that I, I, I sort of don't, I'm not ashamed of that either. Yeah. And it, and it's fun to play stuff like that. Like still, when we play like White Knuckle Ride or Beauty Quest, they're the most weird structured songs we had. And on this album, it was all about just doing anything and not trying to have that verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And if it, you were if you were the uh, 13-year-old Laurie in Maidstone and you heard a band play this, that riff, go into that section, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like t- t- tempo change. Horrible. I'd be running into totally. a mosh pit. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I would have been. Definitely. And it was, it's like, it's exciting, isn't it? We've had those elements before on Girl Fight and Fuck the Hi-Hat and the gimmick has always left me feeling a bit like unsatisfied. They're really funny and like we own them because they're ours and we're proud of them. But I've always just wanted to have that pure moment in a song. And that song, just listening to it there, I'm like excited to go back on tour and now people know the record. And when that bit's about to come, just watching the crowd, what they do is just going to be brilliant. Yeah. Just looking at that, that stem... So we've gone from like that big bassy sound because we haven't really mentioned it, but Laurie obviously has many amps, some of which we use for some songs, some not so much. But essentially, we've got well, you can explain. But there's a there's a bass amp if you like, like an Ampeg or something like that. There's like a clean amp, like the Champ, and then there's maybe like a four by twelve, two by twelve going on. And we get to that part of the song, it's it's a pig nose, so it goes from all of that to like a real the smallest amp we can right, find. Right, so which is about the size. Of two hands put together. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of that sound. Of course, there's the other guitar underneath that comes in. So that's without the pig nose. That's with it. Like really nasty mid. So you see how sort of bassy the actual guitar sounds by comparison. It was also quite interesting recording this song because we tried my my live guitar at that time was a fender mustang and that in previous records i've just always used one guitar to record the whole the whole thing and when we were doing that sort of play through seven times thing that we were talking about earlier we record each of them and i just wasn't feeling it on the guitar i tried like a les paul i tried my mustang and then eventually i just got out my sg and i've got quite a cheap sg um and that guitar just had this sound in it and it was the engineer James's idea. He was like, get your SG out. And I really learned to appreciate different qualities in guitars on this record and I stopped thinking so much about why I wanted to play a certain guitar and just started listening to how the guitars sounded and actually using guitars for what they're good at and for the songs they're good at. And that's why like, I'm so happy with the guitar tones on this. because They give you something, don't they? Like if you pick up a, a sitar guitar, for example, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you play in a certain way. It has a certain yeah. thing. You know, you pick up a Les Paul, you pick up an acoustic, you'll, you'll write something different. I guess it's kind of naive to think that you're sort of like generating all this stuff on your own. It's maybe coming from somewhere else as well, just the feeling of it. And yeah, we use a bunch of different guitars on this record. It wasn't just about, this is my sound. It was, yeah, like... This is a Les Paul song, and that became quite fun, didn't it? Yeah, like, quite quickly because the journey of what and there was a game almost where like Jolian and James, the engineer, would be sort of, oh, what oh, this is going to be a Telecast song, and I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I've got some more questions for you, though. We've got some uh, You should play that outro still. I think we should hear the the full force. Okay, this this is the mix, how I left it. Another great whistle. You're a great whistler. One of the like most, I think, if I was listening to this and be interested in, is that over the years I've started learning how to play the feedback, and like there were a lot of takes of trying to get the perfect feedback take afterwards, and you know when you get it, and you're like, go another one, do another one, and like running around the studio trying to make the guitar feedback, and this the feedback on can you just play that very last bit again where it was just shouting slaves the guitar feedback on this is one of those ones where it just you're like yes It's a lot harder to get that than you do you think, think. Especially, yeah, really especially that like wobbling where it starts to harmonize with itself yeah. and uh, to make that do it at the right points like yeah there is a there is you, it's a struggle but and then trying to recreate that live sometimes is annoying when you don't hit the but it's a fun and we wanted to make on, on earlier records there's a lot of feedback like are oh, you satisfied there's like feedback over <laughs> everything and on this record I think I wanted to be more sparing with it so that was like one of the one Let's get it sounding really good here. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge as an engineer trying to capture the sound of slaves? Um, it's the classic thing where you go and see a band live and everyone's like, oh, the band's wicked live. And on recording, it sounds tame and, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't know if there's a rule as to how to do that, but I guess that is a challenge mm. because we weren't trying to make a live album as we've kind of already gone over. It's quite produced and, you know, quite thought about, but you still want that feel of it kind of being a band and yeah, the whole the energy of it and what it's all about. It's not about being contrived and so on. So I guess that's the challenge in a nutshell, how we do that. I'm not quite sure. I think a lot, I think going back over these stems, a lot of the sounds come from the floor. Like that is the drum kit. He is hitting it that way. It's not sort of like, engineered into it obviously i've Mm. done stuff to kind of beef it up or give it a certain character but then it's a process i i would do that and then play it to the guys and they would kind of feed off that be like that sounds wicked you know and then they maybe go back in and do it again and i'm sort of almost giving them back what they've given me but like 10 times louder and harder and then they're like well i can you know like we go and do the guitar again and just so it sort of has that intensity um and also like again coming back to the thing it's not as distorted and as yeah, it's not as distorted as you'd imagine, or rather there's different types of distortion. It's not just everything's on full. There's like clean things in there as well. And that's because the parts are already intense. 
like the way he's playing yeah. it and you know, it's an intense part I don't need to like go mad and start adding 10 mesabugis on it it doesn't need it it's just it's just think, played that way I think one of the biggest misunderstandings in people and what they think about production is that it's all about sound whereas performance for me is one of the best things that you get out of us sort of yeah the the ability to make us pissed off when we need to be pissed off or like capture the intensity or know when not to bother that's actually like where the energy comes from but yeah that is the production not, i guess not to understate what you do at all like listening to what you just said like we've done a lot of demos with other producers and there's another and like this is the first album no offense to are you satisfied either where i'm happy with the guitar sounds it's fucking hard to record guitars and especially when that is the core of your sound and there's nothing else to beef it out yeah there is there is a magic happens between the three of us and it came from the first ever time Jolian did a live session with us and he recorded us live it's just it's that like magical little thing that his production style of our guitars is how we want it to sound and it sounds perfect people really struggle to make guitars sound good yeah yeah, it's interesting I mean do you have a particular setup when you're performing the songs to record that you like as uh, you know, do you face each other? Do you um, yeah. do it separately? Do you do you want to play together? What, yeah, we you... like to face each other. Just, just set we're set up so we can do it live straight away. Mm. So yeah, everything is there in the room. It's All not the guide tracks are live. Yeah. Um, and now there is my guitar rig, for example. I have a live rig and a recording rig. There's like three elements to my live rig which don't make sense recorded. They're like white noise sounds. And if you record them, they're pointless because they sound nasty. But if you take away that white noise live, you lose a frequency and it sounds thin. And it's it's really interesting learning that, like you said, like a pig nose, a tiny amp put on a recording. You don't know if it's a tiny amp or a big amp, but live try and play for a pig nose and you're going to struggle. <laughs> so I yeah. think a really important lesson for a band like us is really taking... The, the studio experience for what it is it's a studio experience and we're trying to make the best record we can we're not trying to make it sound like we do live but it's got to have energy and we're still evolving and hopefully next time we get even closer mm. yeah it's it's fascinating to hear how it's all worked out um we have a few questions that we um often ask people um and then we have also got a few questions that have come through from people who listen to tape notes um but uh, starting with the questions that we try and ask everybody who comes in here um, and or we go and visit them. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've been given on your respective journeys as producers and musicians? You know, if you, is there something that one person said that really helped you get, or, or maybe it's something that they said that you reacted to and thought, no, well, no, I'm going to do this actually. Uh, just try it. Coming out of Jolien's mouth for <laughs> weeks and weeks. Just try it. Um, and I think that's only something that we've just learned. I mean, yeah, and more 5K. <laughs> yeah, lots of that. Um, no, yeah, try it. I do think that as musicians, we have this um, natural, stubborn quality that we think we know best all the time. And we there are songs, so we know how they should sound. But yeah, in a production sense, just do it. Like you can always take away, but you can't add. Mm. Once you once you've left once you've left the studio, you've left the ability to do what you could do in there behind so you know just just embrace it and get it all down and then work backwards sometimes who is the person you think who has had the most positive impact 
on your careers? Isaac. So <laughs> is it, you know, each other? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We learned so Probably. much together. We're, it was so, uh, we influenced each other so much, whether it was Isaac sort of teaching me about songwriting or if it was me telling Isaac to play drums in a certain way. We really owe each other a lot for being the band we are. At, at so many points, we could have just given up and got a full band in, or I think we both inspired each other to hear. Definitely. Mm. Is, do you have a particular person who had the most positive impact on you, Joey? Do you think? I can't think of a particular person, but I guess all musicians and artists. I mean, I, when I was young, what about I your dad? A, yeah, that's a good point. My dad, yeah. My dad's a producer, definitely. I'll say my dad, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, my dad, yeah, why not? Uh, yeah, I guess he came from a very artistic place, not so much of a kind of like technical place, although he's very technical. And I think, yeah, he would be a just try it guy. Like people also say, oh, well, how did your dad record that? What mic would he use? His answer would probably be that one. <laughs> just like, <laughs> not, he's not stupid, obviously he knows what the mics are, but yeah, I guess I, I picked that up from mm. my dad. That sort of focus on the music and like like kind of what we've been speaking about we've we focused so much on the lyrics and the music and how it's played and the arrangement and then the microphone was really like a convenience it wasn't sort of like i wasn't sitting there going oh which mic should i use on this symbol you know like that, that one will do again i do have a knowledge of the mics and obviously i i, I like mics and i'm a nerd <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what i mean it, the production yeah. is really about all these things we've been talking about more than the gear, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and just your exposure to it must have been incredible. Like, I, I'm yeah. always interested to hear about your life because I've got Bart now and Bart, obviously, my son, for those that don't know, was in the studio. So he was growing up around it and Jolian grew up around bands in studios. So it's, I like to ask Jolian questions and sort of what was this like and usually yeah. gives quite a blasé answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, is it was just my life. So I wasn't, thinking about it now now i get asked the question when you look back you think oh yeah those are mad stuff but at the time i wasn't kind of who who is your dad for those my dad's name is ken thomas and who's he worked with that you might remember and think oh yeah that was kind of mad to think that i was there um obviously i wasn't there all the time but uh ziggurus i guess was one of his biggest bands that he he worked Mm. with they're really cool um he worked with lots of alternative stuff yeah, he worked with stuff that's not too dissimilar to Slaves as well. Wire. Mm. Um, that's sick, I didn't yeah, know Yeah, David Wire. I don't know, loads, so many. Psychic TV, Genesis Peorage, lots of alternative. Yeah. Non, Void Rice. They're the sort of people I can remember. Right. Wow, that's yeah. intriguing. Intriguing people. Yeah, so I was surrounded by musicians and artists and stuff from, from a young age. And I guess, yeah, they all would have influenced me in some respect. And I think a lot of those people of that era weren't necessarily... You know, like people my age now or younger, maybe they go to like not not saying this is bad, but they go to like producer school or something like that. And you know, that, I guess that didn't exist in 1971. Mm, and lots yeah. of people like my dad was a sculptor who just sort of like went, oh, I'm gonna do you know music. It it wasn't like he was sitting there uh, in a studio because he probably never went to one till he was a bit older. So I guess they were coming from a place of broadly speaking art. Mm. Not to sound too pretentious there, and making music out of that. So I guess all these characters have influenced me. Like when I first met um, these guys, I always said to Laurie, you know, you should paint and that's part of it. It's not like a separate thing to slaves. Obviously, he knew that already, but I sort of yeah. kept telling him that as well. You know, like obviously he paints the covers and stuff and that has a certain thing to it, which affects how it sounds and, and so on. So I guess all that 
thinking is something which is just kind of ingrained in me, which is why I didn't answer that question with that answer originally, because it's just, it's just something I don't really yeah. think about necessarily. Yeah. So we've got a few questions from different people who've been in touch. Um, for slaves, uh, Jacob from Southborough um, wants to know how much of your material is written together versus apart and is there a rhythm you fall into when writing? So are you in the same room? I mean, obviously we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, you know, how many ideas come separately and then smash? We're not often it. in the same room when like a riff will come about or an idea for a lyric unless Laurie's come up with the idea. It's usually like we've got we've got ideas separately all the time and then when we get into a room together it's just like this fusion of like creativity. And more often than people would expect a full guitar parts there and a full lyrics there like quite it's quite mad that that happens to us that I'll they play something together. and Isaac's got the perfect thing for it and mm. it's, it, so everything's written together there's not a single song that we haven't written together like really at all there's maybe like one b-side years ago How about daddy what's wasn't that daddy was a daddy was a completely different song that Isaac had and a guitar part that I had and he took the vocals off his other song and put it on my guitar part, and then we worked on it together from that point. But then that also, because that's the way we've done it so far, it adds this extra exciting element that we've still got new areas to try, like making songs complete and then taking them to each other. And I think after the experience of trying new things on this record, we're both keen to keep trying new things. Mm. Um, Brandon from Exeter Laurie, what is your all-time favourite guitar pedal? Is that answerable? The, the tuner. Oh, he just stole it, man. <laughs> the Boss TU2. <laughs> Fucker. That's what I was going to say anyway. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, I, I hate saying this because I don't want to sound rude to anyone, but I don't really give a shit about pedals. Mm. I, like plug it into your garage band and mess around with the sounds on there. Like people that get too obsessed with pedals are forgetting the origin the origin everything i usually write is acoustic the hunter was written on an acoustic guitar um or a, or an electric that's not plugged in i'm a big believer that sounds have it has to sound good before you get to the effects part and then you've got you're onto a winner i do love effects though and i love playing with them but i'm not i'm i'm trying to be more nerdy but i just forget what they're all called Mm. <laughs> We've got some questions for Jolian. Um, Silke from Berlin says, has studying classical music influenced your approach as a producer? So you studied classical music uh -huh. at university? At uh, college. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It has. I'm not that... I'm, I mean, I guess technically I'm classically, classically trained, but not... Again, it sounds more proper than it actually is. Um, yeah, it does. It makes you think about dividing up a song into parts so like say with a slave song I could say oh what's the rhythm uh, like if we went to photo opportunity the rhythm could be that acoustic guitar you know it doesn't have to be drums rhythm could come mm. from anything so if you're doing a classical piece you could have a cello going and that's a rhythm you know it, it might happen to be on a melodic instrument so it makes you think of things that way so it helps arrangement and stuff like that and it helps with things like tuning and understanding Sort of, you know, harmony yeah. and stuff. You know, like, so if someone's playing a guitar, it's sort of, I could, I know what chord it is, put it that way. Like I say, oh, it might sound good in a better position. And I think sort of musical training helps. It can only help, basically. I think I never took it that far that I was like sitting there 
obsessing over theory. I could work it out afterwards. Like if, you had to, if I had to work out what that chord was, I could work it out. But right now, I couldn't tell you. And when I play guitar, I play in a weird tuning as well. So I don't actually know what I'm doing to stop myself doing that. Mm. And I think that's interesting as well because you bring an element of musicality to our band that we don't have ourselves. We're quite just try it out kind of people. We don't really know what we're doing. We feel our way around. And um, that's the interesting thing about our relationship with Jolian is that when you first ever worked with us, you weren't known as a I record no. hard guitar bands whereas now because of like two slaves records a royal blood record you might be seen as a guy to go to to get that guitar sound <laughs> yeah. but originally the, the 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 good thing about our dynamic is the way we all work together in a room and that other stuff is secondary so I think production is more important that you find someone that brings something to the table that you don't know yeah. rather than just going with the guy that did that record because it's heavy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it might not necessarily work. And there's right. a couple of questions relating to that in a way. Um, so, uh, Ben from Whitechapel, is it just a coincidence that you've produced both Slaves and Royal Blood, uh, two guitar-driven duos, or did one lead to the other? Or you know, Royal Blood just loved our albums so that- much, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they did, yeah. <laughs> no, they, they are definitely fans of the Slaves' first record at this at this point. In yeah, the, in the timeline. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think also, you know, we're in the UK. It's kind of small, at least compared to like, you know. America. Mm. If you were like in LA and you want to work with someone in New York, you'd have to really make an effort. But in the UK, you know, if you wanted to meet someone, drive down to Brighton in an hour, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's part of it. I guess there aren't necessarily that many people doing rock well, you know, can I say that? Um, yes, you can. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know, yeah, just by, kind of by proxy, but I guess... Yeah, it's not as if it's design. I'm only working with rock no, duos. But I will say definitely, that, definitely not. interestingly, the Royal Blood definitely led us back to Jolian because we would sit in there in the studio and we'd had a few ideas about people we wanted to work with and we reeled off some really obvious ideas and then we were sort of like, there was this kind of like despondent, me and Isaac sat in the same room looking in different directions, frustration that we needed a producer and we didn't know who. And then the new Royal Blood single came on the radio and I went, Isaac, do you know Jolian produced this? And he was like, no. And then he went, I'd quite like to work with him again. And yeah. and that was it. And he was like, right, let's get on the phone to Jolian and that led to the meeting. So Royal Blood definitely reintroduced us to the idea. Yeah, yeah. Obviously you two Loved our first album. Yeah, big fan. Went to him. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anybody with sense would love that first album. Um, Charlie from Guildford wants to know: Does being a drummer help you when recording bands like Slaves and Raw Blood, where the drum sound is so important? I mean, it's interesting because we had a long discussion about the drum sound for yeah. uh, Isaac, and you know, it's it is such a fundamental thing. Yeah, it definitely. Obviously, everyone's different. Not everyone could be a drummer, so mm. you know. Don't force yourself to learn drums to, to get into production. But yeah, it helps for sure. I mean, when I first started recording, I, mean, I was just in my own band doing my own thing. Obviously, I mentioned my dad earlier, but at that moment in time, I was probably like, fuck you, dad, I'm not going to be a producer. Or, you know, I never <laughs> thought about it. I never I never thought, oh, I'm a producer. You know, it, it, it happened naturally. I'm going to say that someone said, oh, can you produce us? And I was like, yeah, okay. Or record us at that point. I guess they would have said, when you go to a studio, like a proper studio, everyone's so concerned about getting a drum sound. And I probably walked in and I was quite arrogant. I was like, it's easy. Because that's all I'd done. I just recorded myself playing drums. Mm. And I had this technique where I'd always put an SM58 on the floor in front of the bass drum. And I went back to listen to it not that long ago. And it sounds fine. It just sounds like a drum kit. 
do you know what I mean? So like, we went to this environment where like engineers would put like a hundred mics up or whatever, and I probably did it a lot, a lot simpler. Is that the right, right way of saying it? Mm. More simple. So yeah, drumming's helped me for for that reason. Also, tuning the drums. Like, even a non-drummer could maybe learn to tune the drums a bit better and work on that. And just observing things like the choice of the drum heads and the sticks and kind of nerdy stuff that really does help get a good sound. And again, I'd probably take that for granted, but it's something that anyone could be aware of in the studio. Yeah. Kind of sticks is an easy one. <clears throat> stick has like a resonance. So if you use an old stick, it kind of loses its resonance. So if you get a brand new one and hit a cymbal with it and an old one, they sound quite different. And that surprises people. So it's like knowledgeable things like that, which really do help get a drum kit. I mean, obviously with raw blood, that's really important because it's quite drummy. Mm, quite yeah. like, you know, more cymbals and fills and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess um, the idea of experience comes into the last question. Uh, Zach from Dundee, where do you begin when producing someone new? Does this differ from band to band or do you always start from the same place? Um, so it'd be different for everyone. I guess regarding musicians and bands and this sort of thing, I would always start hearing the band play live. I'd, I'd go to a gig. I'd like If I saw a band that I liked or you know someone rang me up or however it happened, I'd go straight to the gig. If I could make it, and again, another good thing about in the UK, you know, I could get quite far quite quick. Playing yeah. Leeds tomorrow, I'd go. I'd definitely turn up and check them out live. And then when I was, if I start producing, I'd I'd hear them play live and just kind of understand how they work together. Like drum, come back to drums is a good example. Sometimes you see a band live and you kind of know, you like look, look, watch them and you listen to them. You kind of know that they don't want to play to a click and they're not very good at it, perhaps, and that's fine. But you're kind of prepared for that. You kind of know they've got a certain feel, which doesn't suit that. And then you've got another someone who really does like that and so on and so forth. And Being fluid in your approach. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's been fantastic to be able to speak to all three of you and, and get underneath these songs from this new album. And yeah, clearly it's great also watching and listening and witnessing the, 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 the beautiful chemistry uh, yeah. that the, the three of you clearly have. Uh, thank you, Jolien. Thank you, Laurie. Thank, Thank you. you, Isaac. Thanks for having Cheers, us. Mate. And w normally we often play out with another song or one of the songs that we've already heard, but I'm, I was wondering if we could sing as we've got some isolated parts. Is Isaac's whistling isolated? <laughs> you know, I thought that would be a nice way to, to end. With From just the, the photo up, yeah. Yeah, because we didn't really get into that, um, but it's a, a strong and important part of that song, you know. Yeah. And you know, it's another instrument. Very it is another part. instrument, but it's lovely, you know. And it's a difficult thing to do. You know, it, some people are gifted with the ability to whistle. It doesn't actually always work like live. If my lips are a bit wet, or like <laughs> I like go to do it, and it's a bit like. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and do you stop and then try again, nah, or do you nah, just, just move on? Let it go. Yeah, because <laughs> it is hard. You know, they they say wet your whistle. You got to go a bit bit far away from the mic. I've realised. What a certain position is that uh, if you mm. go close up, it's a bit that's when your lips can get a bit. Yeah, I've right. noticed sometimes as well, you don't find you have to you like work the pitch out as yeah, it's yeah. going. Sometimes you nail it, and sometimes it'll be like a bit lower, and then it goes, Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, beautiful. That's, what <laughs> that's <want>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds weird on its own, doesn't it? Yeah, just looped again and again. And again. <laughs> This is weird. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you again. Jeez. I mean, and ah, oh, the sound of your daughter's school. 
getting close to the end of the day. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, but and yeah, but maybe a reprise of the of the outro to the lives they wish they had would be a, a more sonically uplifting and in your face way to to finish things off, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> and we can all shout in unison: "Slaves, <laughs> slaves." <laughs> If you want to ask a question on a future episode, head over to our Instagram page where you can find out who we've got coming up and also see behind-the-scenes photos of the podcast being recorded. To keep up to date with the latest news from the podcast, go to our website, tapenotes.co.uk, and sign up to our mailing list. If you've enjoyed this episode, there are a number of different ways to help support the podcast. You can subscribe and leave us a review, spread the word by telling your friends about us, but most importantly, you can donate. Head to our website, click on Donate, and give whatever you fancy. I'm John Kennedy. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.